to Yeah, I Got an Epping Job with a Liberal Arts Degree. I'm the host, Jeff Crane. I'm an environmental historian and have been in academic administration for over 11 years now, which is kind of hard to believe. Currently the Dean for the College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences at Cal Poly Humboldt University on the coast in the beautiful Redwoods. Be sure to listen to our podcast on Spotify or Apple iTunes. If you like what you hear, share with others and rate us. Today I am really excited to introduce Professor Troy Lesher. Uh, he is uh, our theater uh, faculty member at Cal Poly Humboldt and uh, comes with, I think, a very interesting background, which I won't get into a lot. I'll let you talk about that. But uh, he uh, earned his uh, bachelor's degree um, at University of Virginia and a Master of Fine Arts in Acting Theater from Brooklyn College City University and his PhD at Texas Tech University, Interdisciplinary Fine Arts, where he looks at clowning as a form of pedagogy or instruction, right? Uh, and a, a ton of theater, and you might have been on a show that I'd like to tease you about. I'll leave it up to you whether you want to talk about that, but tell us about in a, a few episodes of Law & Order, if I remember correctly. So you've done a few things. So we're gonna share some of that with our audience, Troy. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Indeed, uh, there was a, a year when I lived in New York where uh, I, I became a bit interested in learning a little more about, uh, you know, television production and uh, background work as an actor, uh, extra work sometimes called. And uh, I uh, was able to meet a few people and make some connections and sure enough, have the opportunity to be on a few episodes of Law and Order, a few episodes of a TV show called Third Watch. Uh, this is back in probably 2004, 2005, something like that. And it was a pretty special opportunity, you know, being primarily a stage performer uh, to experience what it's like to be on the set of a, 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 a you know a major network television show and uh, how their day the, the day progresses in terms of the shot list and uh, all the moving parts and pretty fascinating uh, and special learning experience for sure yeah and, and what a great experience for you to be able to bring forward to your students when you teach right so world-based experience Talk a little bit about your experience in theater. I mean, I love seeing you in Galileo. What a great production. What a great discussion about the importance of science and reason and the pushback against that. Not at all relevant today, of course. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, uh, I mean, to maybe go way, way back, I mean, early on, I think in life, I when I was a young kid, I was pretty drawn to the thrill of live performance, getting up. Um, getting standing up into a performance space, standing on top of my bed for my parents, uh, and putting on a show—the thrill, the rush—is—is um, is something even recently having returned to the stage to play Galileo, is still there. Uh, and then, but in addition to the rush and the thrill of being on on stage, I, I think I was early on. I was drawn to this is I'm creating an experience to give the audience. This is an act of generosity. I'm trying to create and share some moments with them. So those two things sort of shaped a trajectory for me. Uh, got involved in theater uh, at the elementary school. Was doing the school show every year in elementary school. I started doing community theater when I was in I think fifth grade. Continued that, uh, and then through junior high into high school. Um, 
and, you know, went to college, not necessarily planning to study theater, actually. And I did go to a community college, Piedmont, Virginia Community College, for two years to earn my associates uh, in liberal arts. And it was sort of in my second year after I took an acting class at the community college that I determined, you know, I actually do want to major in theater uh, or drama at the University of Virginia. And what was it, I mean, in particular that, that said, boy, this is what I want to do. This is what I want my life to be. Well, I, I, I definitely saw myself as continue, you know, trying to, uh, that someday I will make my living as a performer. I mean, I think that that was still important to me. But I also wanted to, I think, deepen the experience that I give to audience members. I wanted to find ways to be a part of storytelling that has an impact on the audience and the world around us a bit more. So that was something that I felt I matured into uh, in college and the power of this art form, uh, the impact it can have, uh, the affect it can have on an audience. And, you know, like you mentioned with Galileo recently, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully we moved moved our audiences in some way. Hopefully we had an impact where they left the theater and they're thinking about some of the bigger issues um, versus my no froyo rule that when the audience leaves the theater, um, if they're thinking about where they want to get froyo after the show, then we haven't done our job as theater makers. Yeah. And it's interesting too, I'm going to go like total like proletariat on you here. And instead of mentioning like a Beckett play, I'm going to mention a play called The Play That Goes Wrong which we saw when we were in New York last year, but the experience, so my daughters, we were all laughing so hard, but they were, after the show, it was like, we've never seen you laugh like that before, Dad. <laughs> you know, they saw this other side of me, but it was just such a, like, a completely delightful moment, right, to be, I mean, completely captured, completely into it, and, and, and just enjoying the hell out of yourself. Um, and then, of course, like your play, which was both, it had the moments of levity, uh, and there was one pat- scene in particular where they were, um, a group of students were playing like these um, visiting scientists, I think, I'm trying to remember. And there was one woman who was doing these voices. I thought I was going to die. She was so funny. And then, you know, you transition back to very serious discussion about, um, well, the rejection of science by the church and all that persecution. Sure. Right. So uh, hopefully when a theatrical production is presented to an audience, you know, you get audience members to feel, get them to think, maybe get them to laugh, maybe get them to cry, all of that stuff. And so actually when in the class, when I talk about moving the audience, having an impact, like to me, that's the thing that matters most uh, ultimately. And yeah, sometimes it's just pure escape pleasure, which is wonderful too. Yeah. Right. We need that sometimes. Um, so I'd like to hear more about your um, your dissertation, your work, clown, calling it clown pedagogy, uh, but what that means exactly and how it might be something we could all incorporate into our teaching, maybe. I'm always yes. down for more clowning. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, it, um, you know, uh, it's funny because the art of clowning, which is indeed what I, well, the pedagogy, uh, the, the teaching of the art of clowning is what I wrote my dissertation on. You know, uh, the art of clowning is an art form that has been around for thousands of years. I mean, in lots of cultures, um, you know, you find a, a jester type, a trickster type, a fool type. Um, so, yes, um, to go back to my dissertation, I wanted to um, learn more about sort of 
what is being taught when it comes to clown training, uh, how it's being taught, why it's being taught. And that's sort of motivated from being a trained actor. And there are a lot of different sort of schools of thought when it comes to acting and a lot of different teachers who teach specific theories and methods and things like that. So that's where the the clown pedagogy uh, sort of the inspiration to write dissertation on that. And in, in, in more specifically, then I looked at uh, four pretty prominent uh, clown instructors that are, um, you know, that were teaching at the time and visited their classrooms, you know, uh, for over a length of, uh, over a period of time and tried to really document um, sort of the what, the how, and the why uh, within their pedagogical exper- the le- teaching and learning experiences that they, they give their students. And what, I mean, what lessons are there in that for like all of us who teach for a living? Sure. So um, this is great because I was thinking back and it's been a few years since my dissertation. Um, but some things to take away from that. Uh, well, I think strong teaching is strong teaching, um, no matter the discipline or the content. Um, and I would say when it comes to some things that I took from studying clown pedagogy in particular, like the, the importance of surprise within a, a, a learning setting. In other words, not letting it just become routine and every day students are expecting, oh, I know how this is going to go, but how do you mix it up? There's an element of surprise and, you know, what is this, what's going to happen today? I think that's exciting. I think the importance of play and exploration and pleasure that is important within a learning situa- uh, context, the importance of bravery and risk-taking and um, failing and celebrating failing when it comes to growing and learning. You know, clowning is, uh, a lot of clowning is you sort of, you fail, you fail, you fail, you fail. In other words, fail and, you know, getting the audience to react or laugh. And, and you, you know, you, you refine your routine, you strengthen the routine. Um, and hopefully, you know, there's, there's more laughing that happens, although it's, it's more than just making the audience laugh too. Uh, I think the clown, setting clown pedagogy reminded me of the importance of sort of letting go what you think you really already know, um, sort of taking what you know and like, hmm, maybe I really don't know anything about this, although I like to think I do. Um, and of course, community and support, I think, is, is pretty important within a learning context, being in a place where you can make mistakes, fail, um, have the support of others and um, sort of persevere. Also working from how to work for one's own sense of truth, I think is important. Um, a lot of clowning is about sort of getting in touch with sort of your inner child that's there or that over the years has been sort of locked away. Um, you know, the inner child we all had when we were young, two, three, four years old, and how to maybe get back in touch with that uh, that inner child that's there. So, all right. And, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I remember um, early in my career when, you know, I was probably insecure as a professor. I was reading the evals of the students, and uh, a student wrote, Turns out he's really nice and funny. Maybe he can show that before November because I was really scary up until then. <laughs> and I, uh, I decided pretty intentionally to start 
trying to introduce elements of humor and, uh, and you, we spend some time together, you know I like to be funny. Um, what I have seen over the course of my career is the degree to which humor so dramatically changes the mood in the room. You can see people open up for learning. You know, it's like, no, I'm not talking about standing up and doing a routine, right? But just slipping in an unexpected joke or something or a, a reference um, can make such a difference. Even in leadership meetings, when we, when we sometimes you, you'd be surprised, Troy, these OAA meetings with the dean and the provost and others, it will a laugh riot. We will be laughing our butts off about something. And, um, and it's just everyone gets loose then, right? And maybe a little more open to each other. Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah, I mean, it, it can certainly help us connect with each other a little bit. Like, if I make a reference to something in class that's, you know, and s- several students get that reference, I mean, that's a mo- that's a shared moment, uh, a shared experience that, oh, yeah, we got that bad joke or bad reference, whatever Dr. Troy just did, you know. Um, but uh, there's more than just the laugh. It's like, oh, wow, we shared this moment. And, oh, okay. And, and by the way, yes, humor can go a long way, I think, in the classroom. I mean, within reason, right? Um, it's definitely not a stand-up routine or anything like that, but uh, to sort of break down, you know, some of those uh, barriers that seem to exist sometimes between instructors and students or among students themselves. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so let's do something here. Let me pretend I'm a dean and you're a faculty. <laughs> <laughs> and we work in the same place together. I'm going to put my dean head on. I was like, okay, Dr. Lusher, I've been looking at your numbers, you know, your enrollments and your majors, help me understand why theater is important to exist as a major at Cal Poly Humboldt. What is it exactly? I'm not going to make you do ROI, return on investment, but what is it exactly that you do that makes theater integral to any education? It's a great question. (laughs) Great. Um, So... Well, first, uh, I think maybe starting uh, through the lens of storytelling and why that's really important to to study, explore as an undergraduate, uh, no matter your major. Um, yes, in the theater world, we're oftentimes creating stories, creating narratives, uh, producing them, sharing them with an audience. But then looking at uh, examining narratives, and not just theatrical narratives but the arguably we everything around us has a narrative we engage with stories in so many ways in our daily lives and one of my favorite classes to teach is the story class because we look at how storytelling is just omnipresent everywhere around us it's not just in theater or film or literature but um, we engage with narratives all the time whether it's narratives that the media is putting out there whether it's narratives through conversation with our roommates or peers. Um, So the importance of looking at the power that narrative has in our lives, but also examining those narratives, evaluating those narratives, questioning those narratives. I would like to think that we're sort of always going through a process of looking at narratives, experiencing them, questioning them, shaping them, changing them. Um, And I think that's pretty important. as, as, as a student, to recognize that the, the power narratives have. Uh, so theater, uh, to speak about theater in particular, I, I would say that, you know, as an art form, we're all about human inquiry. Um, and uh, I like to think that that's super important, like exploring, recognizing 
all, it, there's so many complexities uh, of human experiences. I mean, looking at the forces that, that shape our experiences, how we try to shape our experiences, how we create meaning in our experiences. Um, I also would like to think on a bigger level is about then recognizing the humanity uh, and those around us. Um not just sort of uh, forgetting about that, that we're all very um, complex creatures who are existing on this large ball that is uh, in space. <laughs> and I think we're all doing our best. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, you know, how much, you know, we think about these students, right? They're still, hell, their, their prefrontal lobe's still growing, right? They're still developing... And, you know, anytime I go to a play or a music performance, I look to see majors. And oftentimes the plays, more than half will not be theater majors. They'll be engineering and science. How much power is there for students when they're in that space and they say, well, I just moved a room full of three or 400 people into just laughing their butts off or getting really quiet and thoughtful. And, and why is that crucial for these students to have that experience? Well, I tell you, the shared experience, which is one thing that happens in the live, you know, in the performing arts, to be in a room with a group of other people who are experiencing, engaging a, a play in, in in a lot of different ways, but also in some real similar ways, um, I think is really healthy <laughs> versus engaging with, you know, versus it being an individual endeavor, right? So, yes, it's one thing to sit on the couch and watch you know a film on prime great or on your phone or on your phone or on netflix yeah something like that versus being in the space with other living breathing human beings in that moment who are listening watching there's a transfer of energy happening between audience and performer that i think is uh, of course i'm biased but i think that's a pretty um a pretty special experience that you know, goes back thousands of years, right? Group of people creating a circle around a fire and someone got up and performed, I don't know, a character or something. And um, this is how Grog killed the Mastodon today. What's that? <laughs> how Grog killed the Mastodon today. Oh. It acted it out, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I yeah. It, <sighs> And I think there's power. I mean, you make a memory too sometimes in those moments uh, with that story. And this, and, and these, you know, you're sitting in a, a room full of people who are maybe strangers with you, but you're having a shared experience. And there's something there too. It's not just you and your buddies, your friends, but there's dozens of other people that are hopefully um, engaging with this. And, and perhaps when they leave the theater, they're they're thinking about questioning some, you know, questioning, asking questions, thinking about something differently, reflecting on their values. Some Something and wow, to be a part of that in whatever capacity you are uh, is pretty awesome. So this is crucial to kind of drill down into a little bit. One of the frustrations in academic administration is is speaking with say like board members or whomever. Um, so I'm gonna, for the purpose of the discussion, I'm gonna remember some conversations with board members at my last university, not at Cal Poly Humboldt, and to try to make the qualitative argument for the value of something versus the return on investment was the financial return. And I think you make a really important case here that 
theater builds community, right? In an increasingly atomized society where people are watching their screens, whether they're tiny screens or big screens, and um, delving deep into social media and the, and the solipsistic sort of navel gazing that's a big part of social media, whatever, you know, you're making a strong case for your training students in a process of building community that they can then carry out into their communities, right? When they are in theater and whatever technical means or running a play or, or acting, is that, is that fair to say? Yes, I think we're pretty good at that in the theater. I mean, whenever a group of individuals come together to produce a, a, a production, it is community building. It's ensemble building. And uh, and I'm a firm believer that the group itself only succeeds if all the parts are as strong as they can be, right? So, um, so yeah, it is community building. And, you know, oftentimes a director who uh, oftentimes is in a leadership position takes that on. Like, how do we build a strong sense of community on? ensemble here um, that will, um, you know, not only transform the audience experience, but transform the experience of the of, of those working on it. And then you create something special that's sort of bigger than bigger than the than than each than all of you, right? You create this thing, Galileo, great example. We right. create this thing that's sort of bigger than all of us. That is then shared, making it even bigger, and um, and then yeah, connecting with the the audience. The audience is part of our community. Uh, you know, to do Galileo with nobody in the seats wouldn't be that interesting. They're part of our community and part of that experience at night. So um, then our students, you know, they'll leave having had that experience. I, you know, I was in a couple of plays in high school and it was just amazing, right? The energy and the positivity and the adrenaline. Oh, my God. So having had that experience, they'll want to go out and reproduce that in some way, right, in their community. But um that's something that's hard to measure economically, and increasingly the pressure on us is to make that economic argument. I mean, it's it's at all levels, all universities everywhere. It's not just red states. It's not just failing universities. It is ubiquitous. Um, there's a word I learned in a writing class. So, uh, in college. <laughs> um, so, um, how do we make that case? Help me out, Dr. Lesher. How do I how do I talk to a board member and say this is why we have to have theater and why it's beneficial and all these other ways? Yeah. So how to talk to a board member? Um, Again, I I, I I have a fantastical version of a board member. I'm not talking about anybody specifically here, but just my last. Let me let me frame a little bit more. My last institution, we'd have these. We had a board of like 46 people. People that made tons of money, largely in non-liberal arts fields and degrees, who would ask me things like, "Do we really need to teach poetry?" <laughs> and and actually, because we had such a small arts program, our institution would talk openly about cutting the arts, right? Which you know is anathema to me, right? Um, and so I was constantly in this position of pushing back, pushing back. And so, imagine yourself in that role. What is what what are some of the arguments you make? So. Uh, well, um, I guess if if it's coming from sort of a, a financial aspect, right? I mean, I think there's narratives there, indeed. Um, I mean, there is, uh, you know, although the past few years the entertainment industry has struggled a little bit, um, you know, it seems like there is some movement to, to get things back up on their feet, I, although I know a lot of theaters are still struggling. Um, I, I mean, I, I do think that uh, students who get theater degrees, uh, there, you know, they, there is a workforce out there and there in a lot of different ways 
for them to contribute back to the larger economy um, that exists. Um, another narrative approach, I think, uh, is the uh, the skills, um, which comes up a lot. What are the actual skills when a student works on a theater, uh, works on a main stage production? You know, what are the skills that are that they are literally developing, honing? You know, whether it's project management, um, obviously collaboration, conducting research, budgeting, interpersonal communication. Uh, I made a list of these power tools. power tools. Yes, totally. Um, you know, uh, so there's a, a flexibility, adaptability, dependability is a big one. I mean, theater people, they're going to show up on opening night, <laughs> right? They're- so what I'm hearing right now, and please pick it up again, is that someone working on a play is going to pick up a versatile set of skills and learn that habit of being present on a regular basis, all of which will help them in some capacity, both as a student, but when they graduate. Well, right. Absolutely. And so, yes, in, in the arts world, we often talk about these transferable skills that um, that people are developing when they work in the arts, and I'm talking about theater in particular, that um, very that that are going to serve them well ultimately, no matter where they go. You know, in preparation for our, you know, one of the, uh, in preparation for our chat today, I was thinking about. I think one of your questions has something to do about what was some of your professional work. You know, before I became a professor, and I literally wrote down. Well, I've worked in retail, I've worked in accounting, human resources, sales, special event production, talent relations, uh, relations, professional development, arts education, obviously higher education, and of course, I've made quite a bit of my living being a professional performer and actor too. And so to tell that board member, well, here are those skills. I mean, there's the, there's a lot of ways that this person may eventually, uh, will eventually find employment. It may not be in show business per se, um, but there's, uh, again, they're going to be equipped with a lot of, of skills. They're going to set them up for success. And there's probably a good chance what occupation they see for themselves when they enter a university might very well change 10 years after that so but those skills will still be there right yeah well when i was at the university of virginia i had no intention of becoming a theater professor per se um but that didn't happen until i was in my graduate program they gave me opportunity to teach an acting one class and then everything sort of changed you know yeah i I had no desire to be a professor either uh so (laughs) and here we go here we are uh so I had a thought related to what you were just saying. So we had a guest a few episodes back, Drew Lopenzina, and he talked about the benefit of living many lives. Uh, that, you know, there's this pressure now, get your degree, get your job, begin that career arc. But some of us have followed a different path, right? And, and you know, like you, I could, I could reel off all the jobs. I've had some of them pretty cruddy. Um, but there's, there's a value there, right, uh, in terms of the way we understand the world, gaining empathy. So I'm, I'm a huge tipper because I worked in food service, and I saw how many people don't tip, and I see how people treat, you know, um, waiters and waitresses, right? Um, uh, I could go on, I think, but I think we get a, a better empathy for people working in different occupations and for, I think, for people like academics, maybe better empathy for the working class. But a whole set of experiences we can draw on as we understand the world and teach. I, I didn't end that where I wanted to. I couldn't quite get to the point I wanted to make, but maybe you can finish it. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's sort of, you know, it's sort of a liberal arts education. It's an opportunity 
to explore, expand, try different, you know, explore various fields and sort of what captures your attention and curiosity and motivation, right? Um, and yeah, thinking back of, of jobs that I did in the past, I think that was really important that I did a lot of different things. And and by the way, I really appreciate all the people that I met doing a lot of those yeah. different – I worked at a Walmart while I was at the University of Virginia for four years. And um, that was a really special experience for me running parallel to me in my liberal arts education I was pursuing at the University of Virginia. So, um, yeah, so I think – yes, to go back to I think what you were sort of mentioning in the beginning of, of your question about like – have giving time to young people to explore <laughs> super important whether it's uh, education or occupational pursuits uh, um, yeah I think that is we, we seem to be a bit rushed in our society that you got to make decisions pretty fast when it comes to those things and I'm like mm, how about you give how about we give people more time to play <laughs> all right so let me let me push back a little bit sure. you know, so you and I are a little older and I'm a little older than you and um the uh, economy by design has changed so much that it's harder to imagine students being able to go to college and then experiment with different kinds of jobs, right? Um, yeah, I, I lived on a sailboat for a while, right? I mean, I split rents with people and paid a couple hundred dollars a month. And those sort of opportunities to live cheaply are disappearing. Now, CSU is very affordable. A student can graduate with little debt. So I think one, maybe that that range of opportunities is shrinking and more students are graduating in debt peonage there's no doubt um at the same time there's a pressure so how do we um communicate this to students like you know slow down <laughs> you don't have to go to grad school right away uh you know go out and get some crappy jobs right experience working at walmart or i worked in the starbucks roasting plant and delivered pizza when i graduated from evergreen up in and up in seattle was where i was working and um it did help me get my focus back but how do we argue the? So this is not a conversation for parents, right? When parents talking to you, this is all what they don't want to hear. But when we talk to students, how do we make that argument for you know maybe slowing down and getting out there and trying different things, or to quote that other guest, living many lives? Sure. Well, I actually do have this conversation oftentimes as students are getting ready to graduate. I usually tell them, hey, you know, you've probably been in school for. 16 straight years or something like that. Um, it's okay to give yourself permission to take a year off, um, spend some time reflecting on the past, you know, education, you know, your university education as perhaps, you know, K through 12 as well, reflecting on that. Give yourself permission to take time to reflect um, and you know, get involved in volunteering. Yes, you got to pay rent. You know, you do want to pay your rent. You want to make sure you have food. But this is a great time. And I share this because I moved to New York at 21. I got an internship yeah. and I moved to New York. And those nine years in New York before I moved to go get my – to Texas to get my PhD, I mean, it was nine years for me to explore a lot of different things. 
Um, I'd say New York to Lubbock must have been a change. (laughs) (laughs) You know, New York to Lubbock was a big change. Um, I knew it was going to be a big change. Uh, The cost of living at that time in in Lubbock was quite nice, uh, much cheaper than living in Brooklyn. But... um, yeah, so I try to encourage students to do that as much as possible and not feel as though, well, you've just graduated, you've got to go into a career job. I know that is a way of thinking that is out there. Um, I don't entirely agree with it, but I can see where that comes from, especially if a student has taken on some debt and has to you know, be serious about paying that back in a timely manner. Um, Maybe someday we'll have universal basic income and, and a real national health care system and people will have more choice, right? Yeah. Um, it. I tell students I didn't take – I didn't get this job, which I would say was probably my first career job until I was 39 or 40. So I try to encourage them, give yourself some time. It's a long game. We're talking long game. Um, you have time before you have to – now, I think getting doing a lot of different jobs, it can be really great. Moving into an actual career, um, I'd say it's okay to wait on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we, we've got to find ways to communicate um, being creative, innovative, trying different things, um, and preparing for a future that's constantly changing, a present. So, okay, now let's do something different. Um, we're at preview, and let's pretend I'm, I'm, I'm the father of a student. So, uh, Dr. Lesher, is it? <laughs> My son is interested in acting. I've been trying to get him to do mechanical engineering instead, but he's got the acting bug. Uh, what kind of job is he going to get if he gets a theater degree with you? Well, right. So that's a great question. I think it's a fair question. I think it's a valid question. Um, Thank you. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. You. Well, so <laughs> I might. I might. And this is, you know, we're talking here now. Would I actually do this? I don't know. But I like to think. I sometimes think about what if I were to turn it back to them. Like, well, what type of job or career are you imagining for your child and, or you know, your high school student? And what 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 type of job career is is your your high school student imagining? Because uh, I'd like to hear that stuff. Because if you know, are they implying show business? Like, oh, show business. Okay, well, sure. We, let's talk about show business and what is show business. I was able to be in show business for a bit, so I have a little bit of working knowledge of that. But, you know, something I just want to get to, are, are, are we talking about making a living in show business? Well, great. Then that might be living in Las Vegas and working backstage at a Cirque du Soleil show. Or that might be uh, on a cruise so ship. It's like someone with technical skills, maybe, right? All right, someone with technical skills. Yeah, and performing-wise, you know, maybe being a working actor might mean you're living on a cruise ship doing a musical however many nights a week that's what sh- that's what being a working actor might be it might be working on commercials it might be work, you know getting bit parts and so there's a lot of this is why like asking that question would help me sort of figure out well what, what are they talking about um or sort of what they're dreaming or envisioning years you know down the road um 
on the other side of that, then I would go, I would, you know, I would probably then come in with, well, you know, are, are they, maybe they're thinking about getting into education someday, right? Or maybe they're thinking about getting into marketing someday. And then usually I have some anecdotes. Like I, I, I do have two friends who have a creative ad agency for Broadway shows in New York. And so they get hired to create big opening special events when a show opens. Or one of our students who graduated a couple years ago is who did sound design for us is is in charge of the AV uh, the audio visual at a large casino in Southern California which I hear he enjoys very much so I try to sometimes if that question comes up I try to get to sort of what there's what what they consider getting a job and then try to expand their perspective a little bit. Well, that can look like a you know I used to be a DJ you know being an actor makes you a great DJ at weddings. I give you the microphone. I'm comfortable on the microphone. I can lead this big party, right? Um, so that's a job that uh, being a party performer, you know, that that is, um, you know, the, there's a lot of occupational uh, opportunities out there in those sectors too. Um, trying to think of another example that uh, obviously I was a party performer. Well, like a managing local theater maybe? Well, you could, or... Yeah, you could become, uh, you can be a theater manager or help work in a non-profit, uh, not, work in a non-profit and yeah, maybe you're in your marketing or advertising or fundraising um, or managing. You need all that. All of that, yeah. So it, I, I, see, I, I see so many opportunities for students who get degrees in theater and the arts. They have a lot of possibilities Possibilities, and also making space for what what they envision themselves doing might very well evolve as they move into their mid twenties, into their thirties, and they might surprise themselves to be working in a totally different field, but still doing the things that they they learn while in the theater. Yeah, I think you know, I think part of it too is increasingly I, I need to have some short, snappy answers to those questions. But if they have the comfort of, okay, I know my child will be able to get a job with this degree, then when they're in the process of getting that degree, they can evolve and change the way they think about it, right? Uh, what that what that means. Um, so. Um, they might go from saying, I want to be a star to, hey, it turns out I'm really good at set design or costume design or lighting or sound engineering, right? All of that fundraising. They might they might love theater, but go get a data analytics degree and, and help, you know, managing the budget of a struggling. Let's see if we can find a few struggling performing arts organizations. America. Well, and, and people skills, right? Like actors. I mean, so much of acting is about listening, really hearing and listening what, you know, your scene partner is saying, um, you know, helping, connecting with them, developing that, you know, them. And those people skills are going to uh, carry over into a lot of fields as well. Sales is a great example. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah. So I guess we kind of bridged into my next question, which is like uh, if, if students from different programs like the science We'll just keep saying sciences, I guess, engineering, history, yeah. take a theater class or two with you. What do they walk out with? So you spoke to some of that, but maybe if there's some more, what, what, how do they like, you know, I think it's easy if you're like a history professor, if you learn some uh, theater strategies, right, and ways to convey um communicate effectively with a with a, a group that would be useful right because um, maybe you can speak to that a little bit um, yeah so uh, it's like an acting class in particular um, 
I mean, I, I always love it when students who aren't in who aren't theater majors take an acting class, um, and you know, g- being willing to get up there in front of the class, share a part of themselves, have that confidence, build that confidence to do that. The public speaking aspect of it, uh, exploring aspects of themselves too, um, you know, uh, sort of uh, how they connect with this character. I think is really important. Uh, also, you know, I often tell tell people that acting is really learning about yourself and sort of exploring your own lived experience and that all of you in this class have years and years of real experiences um, that versus this character that is written in a play doesn't really exist, uh, but you bring that person to life by working from your own sense of truth. Um, so I, I believe in it sort of from a personal development aspect, but also, you know, the confidence, the, the public speaking, um, uh, and engaging your audience too, engaging your audience and having that connection, which, uh, building connections with people around you, um, sort of nature of a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even in leadership, you can see the people that are able to deploy a few communication tools and find ways to engage with others and those who can't. Um, and you can learn that a lot of ways, but theater, I think, would help for sure. So um, wrapping this up, I'll end with a question is, is, you know, we're out in the world talking about theater. What, you know, what are the what are the things that, you know, you would ask me to say and, and when I talk about the value of theater in, uh, in education? Yeah, so... Um... I know that feels a little. Does that feel repetitive? I feel like maybe we did that already. Um, maybe, uh, or, or do you have some extra thoughts we haven't gotten into? You know, it. I mean, especially here in a, at an institution, I, I think getting involved in the arts altogether can sometimes be some of the most meaningful, memorable experiences you take away from your college experience. Um, I mean, being a part, as we talked earlier about being a part of something that's sort of bigger than you, being a part of a community, a team. I mean, you'll build, you know, you build relationships and friendships that oftentimes last long beyond after the show has finished. Uh, And you do make special memories, I think. And um, it, it, it's such, I mean, I'm totally biased. I, 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 I believe in the experience that we – being in service to an audience, being in service to a story, um, I think our, our – service is a big draw for me. I mean I think about service a lot and uh, although we are an art form and yes, there are creative aspects to it, I do think that the, the, the bigger thing that we do is serve and um, so be a part of that. That's, that's pretty special. I like that. Uh, you know that 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 is something to take away from this: how we serve the community, how we serve each other, um, how we serve the audience. Uh, I do want to say because again, we get so bound up in pragmatic database economic arguments that, and I have permission to talk about this. I checked, but um, Sarah Lasley is invited me into being in her newest film. And oh my God, it's so much fun, right? I mean, the best day I've had as a dean here was the day we did a part, I don't want to give anything away, right? But part of the film thing, I was just like, so much fun and so much joy. And again, I think it's so easy for us to forget that we have got to find that ourselves 
but we've got to find ways to teach students how to do that for their own sanity, for their health, for the sanity and health of the other people that have to be around them. I'm sure as a husband and father, I was more pleasant that evening after that day than maybe another evening of meetings and ROI and enrollment, right? So, you know, and it, I reference this a lot, but I go all the way back to something Aldo Leopold wrote back in the 30s, saying, you know, we can't get bound up in the, I'm saying bound up a lot, we can't get trapped in the arguments of the engineers. Now that tying spot about like, I'm not being anti-engineer here, but like the Corps of Engineers, the Bureau of Reclamation, the people that are building dams everywhere, right? And destroying all kinds of habitat. And so we can't use their arguments, right? The statistical arguments, the data arguments. We have to argue for the, the beauty of a bird song. And what that's worth, and I think that's I think we have to double down, triple down on that, right? And and um, I don't know, and see how that goes. <laughs> well, right, I think we constantly have to be thinking about the arguments that we put out there and how we strengthen them. Um, uh, and yeah, the. The arguments we encounter about why we do what we do and the and the judgment. I mean, I if I had my way, more people would get to see what happens behind the scenes when we bring something to life, right? The audience only ever sees the you know a two-hour product or something, but they don't see the hours and hours of of special learning and special moments, um, the joy, the pleasure that happens in rehearsals uh, or the discoveries that are made in our shops. Um, they don't see that stuff they only see you know what takes the stage and finding ways for more people to see what goes on i think is is uh, i think that helps our argument provided we can get them to come take a look at those things i like this so i might do a dean email to you later following up on this idea but yeah i think you know an opportunity to see the transformation the evolution and even the messy process stuff right because it's it's everything's about process right um i like to think it is especially in a an educational setting yeah you know the yes we want to put a strong product on the stage come opening night but the student learning which is the mission of our institution the student learning curve i always say is huge throughout the rehearsal process and the student learning curve sort of flattens out come the first performance i mean there is still learning but you don't have that um yeah, you don't get to see all that messy stuff that went into the learning, you know. So, yeah, I, 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 I love it. I'd love it if you know when people talk about my acting class. It, although I, I listen to what they have to say, and it's valid. Um, it'd be kind of great if they got to come in and see my acting class too before they, you know, before chat, just you know, continue to talk about it when they haven't actually experienced it. I will consider myself invited. <laughs> yes, come come one of the days that I'm coaching the actors with their monologues. Like that that there that is those are some of the days where like you, you know the the old light bulb moment. Oh my gosh, you see it happen and I really pull it out of them and they sometimes I sometimes coach them to use pretty potent uh, language because it's not always about being nice and polite. <laughs> These are passionate moments. So That right there is a great spot to end. Thank you so much, Troy. I really enjoyed it. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.